Hashtag Pistons Podcast. We're back after a long hiatus. I am Joe. I'm your host. You can find me on Twitter at Joe underscore truck. I am joined, as per usual, by Kumail Cahill. You can find him on Twitter at NBA. You can find him writing at Detroit Bad Boys. He's covering Pistons games now. You can also find him on YouTube at Coos Ballroom. Um, so obviously it's been a little while, uh, for anybody who didn't know this, the main reason for that is I busted up my knee really badly and I had to have surgery on it. Um, and it was a pretty major surgery. So for the last like month or so, I have been on a lot of painkillers and not able to do anything. Like I could not even sit at my desk like this. Um, so, but I'm now feeling good enough to do it, obviously. So we're going to be back in the saddle here. Um, and I think we're going to pretty much hop right into it. So, because it's been a while since we've spoken last, we're going to talk about some bigger picture stuff. Uh, first and foremost is the chatter about Andre Drummond and the potential for him to be traded. The other day it sounded like it was almost a foregone conclusion that he was going to Atlanta. Um, that ended up not transpiring, at least not yet, and... I mean, that didn't actually shock me a huge amount, which Ku can attest to. I was actually saying at the time that I bet you they'll get more than what they were reported to be getting. Um, but, you know, we'll just see where we stand on that. So, Ku, you can go first. Where do you stand on the Andre Drummond trade situation? Um, well, if anybody follows me on Twitter, I'm sure they've seen me get into the numerous amount or arguments I've gotten about with Andre and these trade rumors. Basically, you know... Basically, why I'm stand on it right now is that people need to understand the amount of value we're going to be getting back for him if we were to trade for him. And so far, everything has pointed to, like, all of the beat writers, all the rumors, Woj's article, like, everything has pointed to the Pistons not getting very much for him. And, you know, Joe mentioned this the other day in our little group. Um, if Andre and, – and actually, on our – a couple podcasts ago when we had my coach on here, he mentioned this too, but – when you have a, a player to Andre's uh, level, his talent, and you have someone like him at his caliber, and he, he generally likes it in Detroit, and he generally loves it here, it's hard it's hard for you to convince me to let that kind of thing walk away because you won't find that very often for someone to actually want to be in Detroit, like it here, and want to stay here. So currently, me, I don't, I don't think we have to trade him. I don't want us to trade him. I understand if we do decide to trade him, but – Unless we get a better offer than what's been reported, or or some something gets better with the offers at all, because right now it's been reported that we're just going to get a salary filler and like a, a mid pick, and I, I think Andre's much, worth much more than that. I understand he's expiring basically because he's going to opt out of that, and it's hard for for you to trade someone like that when they can just pay him in six months instead of trading for him, but. I, I don't understand. I don't think the Pistons have to trade him. I think that it would be okay to just resign him in the offseason as long as it's not for, like, an extraordinary amount. I understand the worries about paying him too much money, and I, I, I've, I've come around on that too. I, there's a price that I don't want, really want to exceed, so if it does hit that, then you do got to let him walk. But if he's, if he's showing all signs that he wants to be here and he wants to stay here for the long haul, there's no reason for you to just trade him unless you just absolutely don't want him here. Yeah, and I think the the key point you really hit on is this idea of if he has given... It's like, look, obviously if he is more or less told management, look, I'm out, 
I'm out this. Yeah, <laughs> I'm out this bitch. Which admittedly would be understandable given where the team has been every year for the last four years where he has been spectacular and the team around him has either been poor or injured every year, right? And yet he has continually played really, really well. He's been the one guy who hasn't blown it year after year over the last four years or however much time. When was the, last, when was the first year Reggie Jackson was there? Um, that was a lo- yeah. So that was th- yeah. So that was the last time that the rest of the team didn't totally crap the bed. So it would be understandable if he was like, "Look, I mean, I'm just going to be straightforward with you guys. I'm I'm out of here. I'm I don't really have any interest in resigning." If that was the case, then I'd be all for trade him, get whatever value you can out of him, even if that is. Um, so the trade that we had heard. Um, was closest to happening was that was with the Hawks was I believe it was Oklahoma City's protected first round pick which the Hawks have um, from the Dennis Schroeder trade I believe uh, the Dennis Schroeder Carmelo Anthony trade um, so it would be their pick and I think it was protected um, plus salary filler which would have been either Chandler Parsons or Evan Turner. Um, and possibly another second-round pick that would also probably be protected, which that would be a pretty piss-poor return because Oklahoma City's pick, especially if it's protected, then doubly so, is not going to be a super high pick. I mean, they're in the, they're what, seventh in the West right now, I think? Sixth or seventh, I believe. I can double-check that here a sec. Uh, Ba-ba-ba-ba. Oklahoma City is currently seventh in the West. They're twenty and fifteen. I mean, you know, even if they and once again, even if they do trade away some of their good players and go all in on a tank, if it's going to be protected, that's not going to help the Pistons that much. Then, so that's not very good return for for him. Uh, but if he is said, you know, I'm out of here. I don't want to stick around. Then it's understandable. Okay, we know for a fact he is leaving. Get whatever value you can out of him, even if it's not great value, even if it is pennies on the dollar, and you live with it. But because of the fact that every indication is that um, he actually seems to want to be in Detroit, I don't know why you would sell low. Because, I mean, if he if he resigns, he, first off, he's young enough that even if you decide, okay, this is this this the current iteration of the team done for you know we kind of want to blow it up start over and so Blake Griffin it sounds like there's they're leaning more towards the potential for him to be shut down for the season that was a report that came out today that he's he's seen a specialist in LA and considering season ending injury surgery so you know even if they decide that Andre is young enough that he's not a guy that you necessarily have to pawn off he could potentially be around when they're good again um, another thing is that, quite frankly, he's a sort of really good complementary player that even if you go all in on the rebuild, right, all young guys, as long as Andre's cool with it, um, you know, he's a sort of really good complementary player that he will make life a lot easier for those young guys. So everyone thinks that the Pistons should draft a new point guard in the coming draft, right? So you're going to have some brand new point guard who's going to be, you know, 19, 20, 21 years old, whatever, New to the league. You want to know what really helps young point guards? Having an elite role man who you can throw lobs to and is going to set good screens for you, can work off of dribble handoffs, that sort of stuff. Um, and so he can do those sorts of things to make life a lot easier for young players. 
And the other thing is that he doesn't necessarily dominate the ball a ton. So it's not like he's going to be one of these guys where, you know, there's all these young players and they're not getting their touches because Andre's there. Um, Andre will have a lot of touches still because he has the ball a decent amount, but he's not necessarily doing it in such a way where other guys are not getting their shot attempts or, you know, anything like that. When on when the offense is centered around Andre, and this has been true, this was true last year too, when it's Andre on the floor and not Blake, the offense is pretty egalitarian, right? Um, particularly when it, this year when Derrick Rose is on the floor, Derrick Rose tends to dominate the ball, which is fine. Uh, but so... You know, even if you go all in on a rebuild and it's like, you know, Andre's probably not going to be around when the Pistons start to get good again, he's still the sort of guy that you don't mind having around just to make life easier for those young guys. And then maybe you hit on some of the young guys and they get good faster than you thought and suddenly you've got a really fun team. And then the worst case scenario there is if you re-sign him is he gets sick of it and you then trade him, except now he has more trade value because he's not about to be an expiring contract that people are worried about leaving the team and you know it's sort of that one of those situations where you just weigh the weigh the you weigh the the risks against each other so the risk of not trading him is are you willing to give up a mid-round draft pick in a draft that by and large i have you here is not that strong in order to have a chance to keep him long term so yeah so if he has said no i'm out there's no way I'm coming back, then whatever, I guess. You know he's leaving, so trade him for whatever you can get. At you know, Once the deadline comes up, whatever the best deal you have on the table, you take it and you just go with it and you just, you just eat it. But if there's a good chance that he would want to stick around, you don't need to take whatever the cheapest deal is because he's a really good player who's worth more than that. And for what it's worth, I actually think that they will be able to get more than that this season even if they do decide to trade him. So I'm glad that it looks like that initial Atlanta trade fell through um, because I think even if they are dead set on trading him, I think that they will be able to get more than what was reported as being the deal there. I don't know if you've got anything else you want to add on to that, Koo. No, yeah, I, I agree. I just don't know. I mean, it's it, you've been seeing it with Pistons fans now ever since the, the trade rumor started. Everyone's just ready to ship Andre out now. Like everyone's energy has just changed. I don't really I don't get it at all. Because it, it doesn't really even... I, I don't think it makes any sense to try to ship him out right now. I understand the season's lost. And, you know, unless front office just refuses to, like, just say, screw the season. And we end up somehow squeezing in at eighth seed. Which is not... I don't think it's even, like, a real a realistic possibility. But let's just say, even if that were to happen. Like Joe said, and, and like I said, even, in the, even if you want... Even if he wants to stay and he doesn't want to go nowhere, like then you should you should just resign him in the off season as long as they have realistic price. I I I tweeted this out the other day, I believe it was yesterday, and you know, if the Pistons one of the reasons why his value is low right now is because everyone's everyone understands that he's probably going to be expiring because he's going to opt out of his player option. So why would you really like give up a lot of assets for him or whatever assets you would actually give him? If he's going to be, if you could just sign him in six months, and it's kind of like the, for example, it's kind of like the Carmelo trade a few years a while ago, when the Knicks just gave up all these assets for Carmelo when everyone knew that he was wanting to go to New York, they could have just waited a couple months to sign him, and then it ended up like crippling them. So it's obviously a different kind of situations because of where the teams are at and where they're going, 
But it's kind of the same idea. Like, you, no team is going to give up a lot of assets for Dre when they, if they really want him. They're going to have to sign. Even if they trade for him, they're going to have to sign him in the offseason because he's, he's going to be needing a contract. So why not just wait a couple months? So I tweeted out that, you know, are we sure that his value doesn't go up if we, let's say we resign him this offseason to a, 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 a realistic deal, not a, nothing absurd, but like an, an okay deal for teams. Are we sure that his value doesn't go up now that he's on a guaranteed contract for multiple years? I think years? we're actually sure, 100% sure, that his value would go up in that situation. I mean, well, I, I, I the thing is, I, I think exactly the same. But we had, I had, what's his name, Sean, Detroit Bad Boys. He tweeted me and said that, you know, he doesn't want look at Kevin Love's situation. I don't want, he doesn't want that happening to the Pistons. And my thing is, I, this is my argument against that. One, Kevin Love is much older with the injury history. So that's that's one and two. Um, I, and me and Joe have said this multiple times, and Andre actually came out and talked about it. Like I believe this week, a couple games, like last game or two games ago, saying he he flat out came out and said, "I want to be here. I don't want to leave." He said to he said publicly, "This isn't like us just like uh, putting stuff together." Like he legit came out and straight up said, "I want to be here. I don't want to leave. I want to finish why I started. If I could be here the rest of my career, I'd love to do it." Like, he wants to be here. So it's not like next year all of a sudden he's going to start punching chairs and, and demanding his way out of Detroit because he hates it here or something. Like, he's grown up. Like, people don't understand this, too. Andre was a child when he got here. Like, he was 18. He was young as hell. He's grown up here. This is like his home. And if he says that he loves it here and he wants to stay here and he wants to spend his career here, I'm not worried about him next year uh, punching, punching chairs, causing fights with teammates. Uh, uh, going against head coaches and like I'm not worried about that kind of thing happening. I don't think that I don't think Andre would do that type of thing. So I I for sure 100% think that even if the Pistons don't have Andre in their long term plans, which is fine if they're trying to go younger. I mean he's pretty young or as it is he's 26. But if they're trying to just go reset the direction, that's fine. But then you can just re-sign him in the off season and then if it really hits that point where you just don't want him around, which by the way I agree with Joe, I think he'd be a good piece just to have around during a rebuild or retool, whatever they do in the offseason. But if you really just want him out of here, then I think it makes most sense just to resign him, get him on a longer-term contract, and then just trade him next year. Or even the year after. It doesn't have to be next year, but once you get him a longer contract, I think his value goes way up. So here's the here's the um, the main thing that you said with Kevin Love. It's a, it's a pretty silly comparison because people are not, not wanting – Kevin Love's a very different player than Andre Drummond and far less attractive one because he doesn't play deep. He's a center, basically, at this point, who doesn't play defense, right? That's an issue. Now, he can shoot. He does a lot of good things on offense. But at this point, we know he can't be that sort of that focal point on offense of a good team at this point in his career that it looked like he was going to be for a long time when his career was in its early stages in Minnesota, right? Um, That ship has sailed. And so, like you said, the two things. First off, he's like, what, one, two, three, four. I think he's like seven years older than Andre Drummond. Second off, Kevin Love over the last three seasons has played 60, 59, and last year 22 games. Right? Very, very different situation. Also, I'm pretty sure Kevin Love, how much money is he making? Kevin Love is... Just a sec. Kevin Love is making over $30 million a year for the next four years. 
this year and then the three years after that. By all accounts, it sounds like Andre Drummond is not going to be making that. So Andre Drummond is a better player than Kevin Love. He's a better, easier piece to fit in because he doesn't really need the ball in his hands to be effective than Kevin Love. He also defends, which Kevin Love doesn't do. He's a two-way player. He's like six years younger than Kevin Love. And he doesn't have injury history like Kevin Love. And he's probably going to be making less money than Kevin Love. So I think that that's not really a fair comparison. Because people are not disinterested in Kevin Love because Kevin Love is throwing a hissy fit in Cleveland. That certainly isn't helping his case. But people are disinterested in Kevin Love because it's not abundantly clear exactly how much better he makes you as a team at this point. Because he's old, because he makes a ton of money, and he has been super hurt over the last several years. That's why. Not because he's throwing a hissy fit. So I'm just not worried about it, to be honest. If, if just since you mentioned it, this is something Joe kind of has a little layout of what he wants to talk about with this podcast, so that's fine. But I just want to hit on something real quick that he's talked about, which is like a major issue that I've seen amongst like people outside of Pistons Twitter, outside who don't watch the Pistons all the time. This this idea that people apparently have that Andre Drummond is a, that Andre Drummond's hard to build, like not even build around, just like a hard piece to have, that, that hard piece to have, or like hard to have on your team. Uh, I completely disagree with that. That's I don't know how you – so this is their thing. I'm assuming their thing is that, you know, he dominates the ball too much. His usage rate is this. He wants to dribble the ball. He wants to shoot the ball. He wants to do that. And this is the thing. And I, once again, I wrote about this last year when he went crazy in the second half of the season, was just dominating teams. And me and Joe talked about it for a while. Like, And, and people just, like, seem to forget this. What people need to get through their heads is – Andre is being – I haven't looked at it. I was actually about to write an article this week about it, so I haven't looked at it yet. But last I checked, he's being assisted on, like, an extremely low amount of his back. I, I can bring it up right here. Andre Drummond is currently being assisted on 57% of his field goal attempts. Okay. So – and then if you compare that to – so, okay. So, basically, we compare Andre to, like, rolling bigs, defensive bigs. So, let's go ahead and just, like, give him a comparison, like, Steven Adams – Rudy Gobert, etc. What teams? What people always say? Well, this is what he could be, but he doesn't want to be that. Those guys have ball handlers who are getting him the ball. Better teams around them, to where they don't have to do what Andre's doing. People don't understand. It's not that Andre wants to do these things. That he wants to dominate the ball. He wants to do all this dribbling. He doesn't want to be assisted. It's it's the fact that he has to do it if the Pistons want to be. Not a laughing. I mean, well, they're already pretty bad, but if they don't want to be just complete laughing stock on the floor, he has to do that. That's what's being asked of him to do. And when he went off on his spree in the second half of the season, it correlated exactly with his assist, uh, uh, the field goal percentage, he, the amount of field goals he was being assisted on going up, Reggie Jackson's uh, usage going up, him getting healthier, the pick and rolls going up. It's this idea that Andre Drummond is going to come to your team, he's going to want to dribble more, you can't fit him in your team, he's hard to build around, he's hard to have on your team, I think it's complete BS. If you give him a point guard or you give him, like, a good team to have around him, you give him any kind of ball handlers that are, like, good and he doesn't have to. Like, like for example, people complain, like, I'm going to keep coming at these guys because now I feel I have a problem with them, but Dallas and Detroit, they keep... Please stop having Andre. Okay, we don't, we don't even stop. need to bring them up because their whole... Right, here's the thing that's sad about them, okay? Because they came and hooped with us that one time. 
And these are not people who are actually just idiots. Like, we've met these people, They're, and they seem like perfectly decent, normal, reasonable people. So the only reason that they are going out and being, you know, thick-headed shites on the internet is to get people to bring them up as, look at these people being thick-headed shites on the internet. So we don't even need to bring them up. Well, okay, that's fair. But the basic point is that people asking Andre Drummond to stop dribbling and, and all that. And Dwayne Casey has said this to us in the postgame presser multiple times, that Andre Drummond dribbling into an offense, the dribble handoffs that he does, that is some of the Pistons' best offense, points per possession. That's some of their best offense. So, yeah, do we want him to be more of a roller? Would we rather him be more of a roller and catch lobs? and all that kind of thing, instead of dribbling as much as he does. Yeah, but if we'd love to have that happen if we had a point guard who could do so. If we had a wing that was a ball-handling wing, like a LeBron James or something like that, that could that could get him the ball in the pick-and-roll. Like, that's not happening. That's, he has to do what he's doing. If he was put on a team with, like, a Chris Paul, like Stephen Adams has, or something like that, then he you wouldn't see him do this kind of thing. He's doing it because he's required to do it, not because he wants to do it or that's the type of player he is. He's doing it for the sake of the team to keep them from being a laughingstock. And here's oh. another thing that those people seem to not bring up. Is the Pistons currently have the 15th ranked offense in the NBA. They have an exactly league average offense, effectively. Which, first off, is far better than they have had in, what, like six years or something like that, I think? It's been a long time since they've even sniffed league average on offense. And it's... They're doing that. Blake Griffin has played in, like, what, 12 games, and he's looked like a shell of himself. They haven't had their starting point guard. Bruce Brown has been their starting point guard for a majority of their games. Andre Drummond is dribbling too much. He's turning it over too much, this, that, and the other thing. And yet, the Pistons' offense has not been an abject disaster. And it's just interesting to me that these people never want to bring, never want to talk about that. That Andre Drummond is having the ball as much as he is with very little help around him. Right, it's pretty much Andre Drummond and Derrick Rose. That's what the Pistons have here in terms of actual shot creation. Actual proper ball handlers and shot creation. Andre Drummond and Derrick Rose. I am more impressed by Derrick Rose, by the way, every single game that passes because of the fact that him and Andre Drummond are the only guys who can do anything with the ball in their hands on this team. And the Pistons' offense is not an abject disaster. Just for what it's worth. So it's just it's interesting to me. And the other thing that's obviously funny, just because you brought it up, people who think, oh, he dribbles too much in this. It's funny how the same people that complain about Andre Drummond being a dinosaur get upset when Andre Drummond tries to not just be a dinosaur. Like, he's dribbling the ball on the perimeter, doing all these dribble handoffs. He can take the ball up the court, all this other stuff. It's like, oh, we can't have him doing that. But it, it's just funny to me. The, 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 I'm not sure. There Clearly there's some wires inside that are not connecting for some of these people. Uh, I don't know. If you want to say something else about that, you can. Otherwise, we can move on. No, that's about it. I, it's just that that it's just that I don't believe, I don't think other GMs, I think if you ask teams across the league, I think I think the smart GMs probably understand this. I think they know that if they got a good team around him to where he wouldn't have to go out, he would be, he's capable and willing. Like, Joe brings this up all the time with Stan Van Gundy. And I know we have other things we want to talk about. We don't want to stay on this for a while, but. Stan Van Gundy said that, you know, Andre Drummond is one of those people who just, he's demanding for the ball. He complains by his touches. He didn't do that. He doesn't do that. And now, like, people who just assume that this, they don't just, they have a secret agenda. Because that Drummond, and I, 
some of the things that I said about him, man, I just like it's never been him. Like he's never been one to complain about touches or shots. Like I don't know where this comes from. Like I, we've watched him for what now eight years now. Mm-hmm. Like this has never been Andre Drummond. So I think opposing GMs know this. I think smart ones do. I think I think that they understand that if you got him a good point guard or like for for example Trey Young, if he had Trey Young in the pick and roll, that would be heavenly. That would be awesome. But you know, I, I it is what it is. I just wanted to attack that real quick. I don't I think people are wrong. And I think opposing GMs probably know that and it is what it is. I just wanted to talk about that. Yeah. Um so let's sort of transition. We'll talk about the Andre Drummond stuff more in the future. I'm sure, especially if a trade does end up happening or if there are reports that one is close. Um, We'll talk about that more in the future. Uh, So, sort of looking to bigger picture. So, it does look like Blake Griffin's season may well be over. There's a good chance he's going to have season-ending surgery. And here's the other thing with, because you actually said it earlier, the season is pretty much lost. And the question then is, what exactly, you know, what point, what happened that put us to where the season is effectively lost, right? And the, the way to look at it is this. So the hope for this team basically was what the team did after the All-Star break last season. Because they went on a tear. Reggie Jackson started to look healthy. He looked right. Uh, that got Andre Drummond going. Some guys started to shoot the ball a little bit better. You know, a lot of things started to click in the la- after the All-Star break last season. We talked about this a plenty. Um, and when you looked at the rate that they were winning games at, they were winning rate games at like a 48-49 win pace over the entire season. So then you look at that, and you look at some of the additions they made. So you've got Derrick Rose now, you've got Markeith Morris now, et cetera, et cetera. You know, Luke Kennard is hopefully a season is better this season. Bruce Brown's better this season, whatever. And say, okay, add one more win from last season, and this could be a 50-win team, hypothetically, if things broke right this season. And even if they didn't necessarily get there, as long as they got to the playoffs healthy, they could be the sort of team that could be good enough to do something real in the playoffs, right? That was the hope. That's why it wasn't stupidity to be like, this is a team that's worth seeing if they can be something. Even if Blake Griffin came back tomorrow, totally healthy. Reggie Jackson came back tomorrow, totally healthy. Everything clicked the rest of the season. They played at that 50-win pace. They would still finish a game under 500 this season. <laughs> so it's like, and guess what? We know that Blake Griffin is not only not coming back tomorrow, he's probably not coming back at all. Reggie Jackson's like, what, another week away from being reevaluated? Luke Kennard is hurt right now. Markeith Morris is hurt, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So it's just, it really is a lost season. Even if they got all the way right and played to their, you know, their highest potential right away, they would still, at this point, not get back over 500. Now, admittedly, the playoffs in the East look pretty grim, so <laughs> you don't necessarily need to get to 500 to make the playoffs, but it's just, it's not going to happen this season, and that sucks. But um, So considering that, sort of looking at some bigger picture stuff, um, where do you, I guess we'll start with Bruce Brown, okay? Or no, 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 let's not start with Bruce Brown. Let's start with um, Sekou, Sekou Dumboya obviously started the last three games. Um, Ku, what is your take on Sekou's three games? Uh, and, and this is the first real NBA action we have seen him in all season, and he got three starts. So, yeah. Ku, tell us what you think about that. So, we are we skipping over Are we skipping over uh, Blake, talking about Blake and his... Uh, I mean, I don't know what else there is to say. His season's probably done. I mean, 
<laughs> I do, is there anything else you want to say about that? He's probably done for this season. It's over. I'm sad. We tried. We lost. Yeah, I'm sad too. All right. Well, I okay about Seku. Um, I made a thread earlier today uh, talking about Seku, so go check that out if you want to look at it. But uh, I'll be honest. Joe has Joe has seen me. I, I Pistons Twitter has been in love with him all season. As soon as we drafted him, like they're just Pistons fans are just overly in love with him. Kind of like how Luke, uh, Joe used to talk about. Oh, well, you know, we love Luke over here at the at the podcast. But you know, some of these guys are getting a little over the top with Luke love. Like that's that they were definitely getting out of pocket with the Seku love. And I, I had my I had my questions about him. I didn't watch. I, I hadn't watched him at all before we drafted drafted him. Uh, all I know is from the little preseason, the few minutes he plays in the regular season. And before this little stretch, I had a lot of worries about his ball handling. He lost the ball a lot. And I, I, I just I was not very high on him potentially doing anything this season worth value. Through three games, I have to say I was completely wrong. And uh, I apologize for what I said. Because I'm sure Joe's going to talk about the rookie mistakes that he sees him do. Or the you know uh, how people people are saying that he did okay on defense. I know Joe's going to talk about you know rookies are always trash on defense. He's not actually doing okay. He's been really bad on defense, whatever. But I'll say this: he's been way better than I expected him to be. So for example, he's had a couple rookie mistakes like that are blatant. Like a couple couple times you see him not remember a play or have to be told to go somewhere, something like that. But that's basic rookie stuff. I was expecting when he got out there, I was expecting him to look like not just rookie mistakes. I'm talking about just completely lost. Uh, the bright lights are too big, like him just being completely lost out there. He has not been that. That's one. Two, uh, I, I, I follow some people that watch the G League, and they talk about he was struggling with rebounding earlier on in the G League season. And he's like, as the season went on, he started, he tried to get more active down there. He's been really good on the boards, helping Andre out on the boards. Like, there's been a couple times that people have joked about, joked about that uh, Andre is going to punch him next time he steals one of his rebounds. So yeah, he's been good on the boards, helping us out. And one thing I really like about him is that he's just confident. He seems really poised. He's really confident. And I compared it to Stanley when he was here his rookie season. And no, I'm not saying that they play the same or hopefully they end up the same or anything like that. I'm just saying that I haven't seen a rookie. You know, you take Bruce, you take Luke, you take Henry, you take whoever you want. I haven't seen a rookie for the Pistons have that, this kind of confidence since Stanley. And everyone knows Stanley was extremely confident in him, so. Seku made a three in front of the, uh, well, I think it was the Clippers bench, Lakers bench. He made a three in front of their bench, turned around, and told them to shush up. Like, that's not, that man has some confidence. He has some poise, some swagger to him, and I'll give him that too. So he's not lost out there. He's, he's ready for the challenge. He's not shy about anything. He goes out there, and he plays hard, and he's an extremely confident player. And lastly, I'll talk about is um, what I made my thread about earlier. He's a good cutter, and he wants to cut. There's been multiple times where he catches his defender sleeping, Draymond, LeBron, uh, two specific clips, and he just cuts back door. He gets the he gets an easy basket. And you know Stanley cut a little bit his rookie season, but the thing is with him, he didn't he couldn't jump very high and he didn't have long arms. Seku he has both of those. He can finish over the top of you, around you. He he's been able to finish a couple and ones. He'll dunk the ball. That's basically what I'm saying. He'll dunk the ball. He's not going to finish underneath there. He'll, he will jump, and he will dunk the ball on a cut. So you don't have to worry about him missing those little cuts to the cut to the rims. So basically, overall, he hasn't been perfect, obviously. He hasn't been great. 
but he's been way better than I expected him to be. And like, I have no problem him playing starting. Like he's been way better than I thought he was going to be. I'll give him that much. And honestly, I was saying that, you know, I wasn't very interested in seeing Sekou and all the young players play just to see a bad basketball product out there. Uh, I'm walking that back a little bit right now because Sekou himself has just been way better than I thought he'd be, and he's been a lot more fun to watch than I thought it would be. I thought it'd just be bad basketball. It hasn't been that. I think he's been generally fun to watch. Here comes Joe with a more pessimistic. <laughs> no, I'm not pessimistic. I, I really like what I've seen. Um not pessimistic, I mean a little more realistic, which is to say to say that he's been good is a stretch, right? And just from a fairly straightforward standpoint, he's shot 27% from three, you know. <laughs> His shot looks good, but he hasn't hit actually hit that many threes. Um, confidence is great, but that only takes you so far, just ask Stanley Johnson. But um, I do really like what I've seen of him. Uh, first off is that one thing, and we all know that I like this. Um, he's a good rebounder, he re- and he's shown that already. Statistically already, he's been a really good rebounder, and you see it. He's gotten some really nice rebounds, and that's nice to see for a couple reasons. First off, the Pistons could desperately use someone other than Andre who can actually rebound, especially while Blake is out. Second off, um, rebounding is one of the skills that m- is most translatable from a small sample size to a larger one, from past, from lower levels to higher ones. Um, so, for instance, from college players to NBA, one of the most consistently translatable skills from college to NBA is rebounding. If there's a guy who is a good rebounder in college, there's a higher chance that he'll be a good rebounder in the NBA than almost any other skill that you can see transfer over. And you can already see that that is the case for Seku, so we can have a lot of confidence that that's going to be something for him. He's going to be a plus rebounder especially when you consider that he's only going to get bigger and stronger from here, right? Um, The second thing is that even though he does look, he's oftentimes, quite frankly, in over his head. There's no way around that. Guarding LeBron James, he was in over his head. He's just not big and strong enough to guard LeBron. That's okay. Um, There's times on offense where he's just in over his head. He's had a couple of travels. Um, He's gotten blocked really badly last night by <laughs> Anthony Davis. He got blocked really... I mean, well, everybody was just getting destroyed yesterday. Yeah, that is true. He was not the only one, but just, you know, there there's pretty clearly moments where he's in over his head. But you also very much so see the flashes of what makes him such an intriguing prospect. Right? Where um, so against the Clippers, he had a couple of those plays. He had a couple of steals. He had the one that went the other way. He had a couple of steals, a couple of deflections on defense where you just see his length and the way he anticipates the ball and the way he loves to run out and transition, like you brought up. Um, he's an active cutter. He already looks like a smart cutter, looks to have good instincts as a cutter, which that's not something everybody has. A lot of people don't have that. Um, and he also seems very comfortable playing within the flow of the game. He's not a ball stopper. And this is something that we talked about um, this summer when talking about him. And also um, when we had on um, the Pistons France um, Twitter guy onto the podcast. I can't remember what his name was. Do you remember what his name was? I'm sorry if you're listening to ben. this. Uh, but um, ben. ben, right. Sorry, my apologies. But... And he talk, we talked about this, is that a big benefit to Seku is so when most guys get to the NBA, 
at every single level they have played basketball. They've been the best player on their team, by and large, right? So Bruce Brown gets the NBA. In high school, he was the best player on his team. In college at Miami, he was the best player on his team, right? That's true of almost every single guy who gets the NBA. Not all of them, but almost every single one. They get to the NBA, and they've spent their entire basketball life always getting the ball in their hands, always getting to take the last shot, always getting to dribble a bunch, always getting to do all these things because they're the best, most talented, most gifted, most athletic player on the court. Seku has been playing professional basketball in France since he was like 16. (laughs) And he didn't play hardly before that. So he's actually spent a lot more of his time learning to play professional basketball. You know, he hasn't had a high school coach saying, well, maybe this won't work at the next level, but for now you can just get by all these guys, so I'm just going to give you the ball, right? He's been learning how to do things like cut, be active on defense, run out and transition to get those easier baskets, that kind of thing. And you already really see that in a big way, which is great to see because that was supposed to be one of the draws to him, is that you don't need to teach him these things from scratch, that you need to teach a lot of young guys when they get to the league. That, you know, you don't get to just dribble the air out of the ball anymore. This is the big time. You can't do that. You don't have to teach him that. He already knows that. He's His entire basketball life, he's been doing that. He has not done that. So, yeah, you really see the potential. His shooting stroke is so smooth, even though he hasn't shot that well. He's an active cutter. You can see the value of his length and athleticism. He doesn't look overwhelmed athletically, which is also good. Um, and I also think that he... He needs NBA minutes because from what I have seen of him in Grand Rapids um, is that he, a lot of his success in Grand, in the G League, he's done very well in the G League, comes from the fact that he is pretty clearly the best athlete on the floor almost every single game. And so he's able to use that to get a lot of the things done that he wants to get done. While he's still going to be a good athlete by NBA standards, he will not be the best athlete on the floor every single game. So I think it's important for him to start to learn, you know, how to start to beat guys more with skill. You know, you can't just, well, I'm just faster than you, so I'm going to get by. You need to be able to have a hesitation dribble or whatever it may be, right? Um, So I'm not convinced that there's a lot more that the G League can actually teach him as a player. So I do think that he should be playing on the big team, and I think that he should get some consistent minutes, particularly given that even though his counting stats are not that bad, Markeith Morris, I mean, the on-off stats at this point, they're overwhelming. He has not been that good. And especially if Blake is going to be out the rest of the season, give us some Seku. I mean, I, th- I, think it, I think that that's really the best way to go. So in a fairly straightforward, objective, in a vacuum standpoint, no, he has not actually been that good. He's been a minus on both ends. Uh, you know, he's not big and strong enough to defend LeBron James, but you can see the potential very, very, very clearly. Um, and there's some guys that when you sort of take on a guy who's sort of billed as a project, which Seku is, there's some guys that they get their first NBA minutes. It's like, holy crap, this guy, we drafted this guy. <laughs> we need, we're hoping this guy is the savior of this team. What on earth do they see in him other than that he's got long arms, you know? You can see it right away. Like, it was abundantly clear very quickly with Seku what they see. And to see that he can do those, have those flashes still on an NBA court is huge, and it's great. And also remember, he is so incredibly young. He's the youngest dude in the NBA. So, yeah, I mean, I'm pretty excited about it, and I think he should be playing going forward. You got anything else you want to say about Seku?
Nope. It's just there was actually one thing is I, I, during his second game, a graphic came up that he's the first Piston rookie to have uh, double doubles in two in his first two games since uh, Andre Drummond, and he makes you think, man, how, where's the time went? It's <laughs> yeah, crazy. it's pretty wild. Um, so so Seku, we feel pretty good about him. Um, obviously, far too early to say that that's a great pick that he's necessarily going to be a great player for them going forward, but we certainly like where we are with him. So, considering that, there's a very good chance that the Pistons are going to go all in on a rebuild um, starting the season, likely by the trade deadline. Several other guys will be traded. Uh, Andre Drummond will probably be traded. Blake Griffin, they can't trade. There's a decent chance Langston Galloway, Derek Rose will be traded, and they'll go all in on the youth movement. Um We'll try and cut it down by not going through each guy individually. But, Coop, just pick one thing about the youth movement that you would want to say. One player you have something that you feel like you got to say, good or bad about him. All right. Uh, real quick, well, uh, Vince actually tweeted that, uh, or he said in one of his articles recently, that uh, he reported that it's unlikely that the Pistons trade Derrick Rose this year. So take that for what you want. But uh, there is uh, one player... One player from the young, from this little youth movement, talked about Seku. You know, we've already talked about Luke. I don't want to talk about either of them. It's Bruce Brown, and I'll tell you why. Now, just so everybody doesn't think I'm just like some heart, like, like Bruce Brown lover. Joe backed me up on this last year on the podcast multiple times. I said that maybe Kyrie Thomas would be just as good as Kyrie, uh, Bruce Brown. If he was just playing. Bruce Brown's just lucky enough to be in the peak. I'm just not sure if Kyrie was, would be any better. I've completely changed my stance on this, and this is the thing. So, like, when this season opened up, and this goes back to the Summer League. Summer League, uh, he was running point guard, and Dwayne Casey has talked about, even going back to last year, that he, his future position will be point guard. So, going back in the Summer League, we had Ben on here. He talked about the Summer League that he's watched. He gave us his outside Detroit opinion on Bruce. Talked about how well he was passing, he thinks he can translate, blah, blah. So we opened up this season, and there's no hiding it. Bruce was struck. Bruce was struggling to open up the season. He didn't look like he was in, he was making the necessary steps. Everyone was on his ass. Everyone was coming at him. I mean, and like everyone was letting him have it. And he just and, and he deserved it somewhat. He was wasn't playing well. He he wasn't taking this next step. People have not. I wrote about it, but I don't see many other people talking about it. People have not given him enough credit for how well he's not only bounced back. What the steps he appears to be taking, like it's not fair. I don't. I honestly think it's not fair to him because people were really for, for real, like on his ass to start the season. People were coming at him bad, and they have. I feel like they haven't. They haven't given him credit since he bounced back. Like this is not the same Bruce at the few few games. He's completely turned his season around. And I'll point to a couple things. One, I wrote about it. His three point shooting. Joe, if you could pull up what he's shooting right now from three, I don't remember. Bruce Brown is currently shooting 33% from three. Okay. Can you pull up what he's shooting from the corners right now? Uh, yeah. Or is that going to be harder? No, I can. I can. Just a sec. Uh, corner, Bruce Brown. He had been at 35% overall, like literally before last game. From the corner, Bruce Brown is shooting 42% from three. Okay. In the corner. So when I, when I made the article, Bruce was at 45% from, uh, from the corner. So I mean, that's a step that he's been he's taken. I talked to him about it after the game. Yes, I'm doing a subtle brag right there, but uh, I did talk to him after the game about it. 
he said that he worked his ass off all year, I mean, all offseason from the corner because he knew that – he said he knew that's where he was going to get the majority of his shots from with Blake and Andre and Reggie uh, holding the ball. Now, now he's obviously been asked to dribble the ball a lot more, but they worked his ass off all summer with – he's having to pay off. That's a step – a realistic step for Bruce because he could not shoot at all last year. It was hard. It was bad to see him shoot. Now, when he shoots in the corner, I generally am okay. I, I feel okay when he shoots it from the corner. I, I expect some of them to actually go in now. So that's a step that he's taken, and he he deserves credit for that. One, I think another. I mean, two, I think his passing has translated like people thought. I not it hasn't been perfect, but I definitely he can he's gotten better with the passing from last year. He makes some of the actually it was a poll like earlier in the season. People were asking who the second best playmaker on this team was. And Bruce was in there. There are some people arguing for Bruce. And I can, I can certainly see it. Because Bruce Bruce has been making some really good passes, nice dump-offs. He seems to he seems to know when to make the corner pass to, the corner read out the pick and roll. It, it, that kind of stuff just uh, impresses me. And then another thing that I've liked from Bruce as well, and me and Lass talked about it last game. Or the last three games, actually. He, he's been showing, like, new moves at the rim or like not just at the rim like from like 10 feet to the rim like a runner he's been doing recently he has he's done a couple of Derrick Rose's moves a little pump fake spin layup he's done a couple reverses he's done he's went up strong and finished through contact uh, his his finishing at the rim has slowly gotten better throughout the season too it's better than last season like he's making now none of these things he's doing at a great level or like he's out here looking like a star or anything. But he's taking steps, which is what you wanted from him. And that's that's my biggest takeaway from him, uh, uh, from the Pistons youth movement. That Bruce Brown, it, you know, a lot of people were comparing him to Stanley last year. You know, he plays defense, but is he ever going to be good on offense? We've done had enough with the guy who can play defense and plays hard, blah, blah, blah. No, Bruce is making these steps that Stanley never could. And, I, I, and I'm not mean to bring up Stanley all the time because I, I'm a fan of Stanley. It's just that I, I draw the comparison in, the, in my article because people were trying to make that comparison. He's made the necessary steps, and he's the one that's impressed me the most out of everybody. Um, I pretty much agree with everything you said on Bruce. Um, that's what I was actually going to talk about. So I'll talk about someone else, and then we're going to wrap up because I've got to get my leg back up. Because um, I can't be too far away from my ice and having it propped up for too long. So um, I will talk about then. I'm going to talk about Svi. Um, and I'm going to take an L on this one. Because, and who can test this? Um, I, I think I've said it on the podcast a few times. But I pretty much said I don't think Svi is good enough to be even remotely worth as an NBA player. I've just straight up said that a couple times. I know in our group chat. There's a couple times that I've just said that, that I just don't think Svi is good. Um, I figured, and this was largely based on the fact that last year he played, he only played a few games in Grand Rapids, but I saw two of them in person, and he looked like a disaster on defense there. And I just thought to myself, if you can't stay in front of anyone in the G League, he's going to be so bad on defense in the NBA. He looked worse defensively in the G League than Henry Ellenson did or Darren Hilliard did, or insert almost anybody. I have seen few people look as terrible on defense as he looked in those two games I saw in Grand Rapids last year. And I know that, you know, it's a small sample size, this and the other thing, but it's like, 
this dude can't stay in front of anybody. So I and I said it. I said it a couple times. I kind of figured he was a lost cause. Coop, I was wrong. I was dead wrong about that. Obviously, yeah. he's still a minus defender. Clearly, no one's suggesting he's some good defender, but he's kind of doing the classic white guy thing. He's in the right place most of the time. He plays hard. He's got decent instincts. He makes good rotations, etc., etc. So he's not a total zero. And holy smokes, that guy can shoot. And Kuka probably remembers this, that I did say when he played in Grand Rapids, I'm not sure I've ever seen anybody in warm-ups as impressive a shooter as Fima Kailuk is. Like, that dude was something else. I don't think he missed over, like, 20 minutes of warm-ups. He shot some with his left hand and he hit him. It was wild. Um, so, just the fact of the matter is, Svi looks like a guy who he could be... Now, he probably tops out as, like, what's maybe the seventh guy in your rotation? You know, sort of a... I wouldn't want him playing more than, like, 20 minutes per night on a team that's worth anything. But... And we can consider him effectively a draft pick by this front office because... By all accounts, they could have... So he obviously came over in the Reggie Bullock trade. Him and a second-round pick. By all accounts, they could have gotten another second-round pick from other teams, but they chose to instead get Svee because they liked him, right? So you can consider him a draft pick by the front office. And when you consider that he's effectively a second-round pick, a back-end rotation player with a second-round pick is a pretty... That's pretty good value from that. And it looks like he's definitely going to be able to be that. And... Um, that I, I don't know. There's nothing. There's not some like really impressive innate thing that I can say about his game, um, because there's not that much that's complicated about his game. He plays hard enough that he's not a total loss on defense, and the guy can just shoot on offense. I don't know that he'll ever be all that effective as a ball handler. Um, he sometimes looks like he can do some stuff. He's got decent passing instincts. I'm not sure that he's. I don't, I'm not sure that he's a good enough athlete that he'll ever be able to finish inside with any ability to really make that work. Uh, but he can really, really shoot the ball. So, yeah, I mean, I think that's that's all I'm going to say about it. There's nothing more complex to say about it, but he looks like a player. He looks like a guy who can play in the NBA. And that's a huge win for the Pistons. Um, yeah, so, I don't know. Cool, if you want to tack I, anything else on about Svi, go ahead. Otherwise, we'll wrap up. No, I... I'll actually say this. I wanted to say Speed. I, w- I wanted to talk about Speed, but Bruce has just been so damn impressive to me. I, ha- I had to say Bruce. But just to add something on about Speed, I actually disagree with Joe about something he said about Speed. I think if there is something you can talk about that just stands out about Speed. His offensive, uh, his offensive feel, like the, the way that his feel for the offensive end, I love watching him play, dude. I, w- I love watching him play. He just, the way he plays, dude, it just like, it kind of feels like some of the stuff he does is just, like, effortless when he shoots threes. Oh, like, I totally like agree with that. When I say there's not anything... Okay, so, like, talking about Bruce, okay? So you could specifically bring up the corner threes, right? That's something you brought up. Um, I If I were talking about him, I would bring up the fact that he started to bust out that floater more this season, right? And it's kind of worked. And for a guy who's as good an athlete as him, to be able to hit those floaters can really open up some other things. There's also with Bruce the fact that is so intrigued about him is that he's got an absolute killer first step. That's something we saw last season. Even when he wasn't finishing at all, he was doing terrible every time he got inside, he can get around most guys, right? There's lots of little things you can talk about with Bruce that are like, you can see this. With Svi, it's not like there's lots of... Dude is just... He knows how to play. 
You know? Which is basically what you're saying. So there's not some little innate thing that's specific you can point out. It's just the guy's a really good shooter. He's a good offensive player. You know, so you can keep going. Sorry, I didn't mean to step on No, that, I mean, well, after that, there was the, the real only other thing I was going to say is that uh, I disagree. I actually think that he – I see that he – I see a future where he could be an okay finisher, an above-average finisher. Because I said this last year, actually, when we traded for him. Dude has some underrated hops. I don't care what anybody says. Dude can get up. I've been to the games. I see them in person. The dude can get up. I, I mean, like, watch sometimes when he goes to the rim. He may not finish it. But there's been a few times when that dude's head's above the rim. And and he's like, there's nothing else I can say about it. The dude yeah, has some Svee, hops. So Svee can jump, but he's got short arms. And he doesn't have particularly big hands. And the other thing with him is, so he can really jump, but he kind of has to have a good runway to jump, if that makes sense. Um, he's kind of a leaper, right? Uh, so it, And to be a really good finisher inside, you need to be able to get that sort of height off of different angles, right? So like, that's one of the reasons Andre Drummond is so absurd as a rebounder, is he can jump off of either foot, his second jump, etc. Et you know, no matter how... Where you put him, what position he's in, he can always get right up and get up high. Svi is not necessarily explosive as a jumper, so he can jump high, but he doesn't necessarily reach his peak super fast. And he kind of needs a longer, he needs a bit of a runway. He's more of a leaper than he is a, you know, a vertical jumper, if that makes sense. At least it seems to me. Um, so I'm just not sure. I mean, look, he can become a decent finisher. I'm not saying that he can't, he'll never... Just, I don't see, it's like with Luke Kennard, we've talked about a lot. Um, he can be, a, he, he, that guy is a real ball handler. And part of that is because Luke is a way better ball handler than Svi, just straight up. But Luke is so incredibly crafty. He's got he's got really good hands, et cetera, et cetera, that he can work as a guy who can have the ball a lot. And I just don't really see that with Svi. Um, but, yeah, sorry. You can keep going, finish up whatever you're gonna say you can disagree no, with that's, me. that's fine no that's 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 it that's basically all i had to say i'm really i'm a big fan of three I, I really like his game his offensive game i have a lot of fun watching him he just has really good feel like right off the gate good pump fakes he just feels like he knows what he's doing and off and he feels i feel like he does it effortlessly too okay it's so, then, he, he, so then here's what we'll, here's what we'll finish on okay fairly concisely if the pistons do blow it all the way up they trade every veteran they can Total youth movement. How much confidence do you have in this team and the front office, et cetera, et cetera, to obviously they would be really bad for at least a while, but how much confidence would you have in this young core and the front office and such to come out the other side successful? Um, whatever you want to brand successful as, you know, being a worthwhile team. You know, just where would you feel about the direction of the franchise if they did that? Like on a scale of 1 to 10? And you don't know, just however you want to say it. You can say a few things, just keep it concise. I mean, okay. So, like, I. I think that impressed most, and Joe talks about it a lot. Uh, the fact that they've hit on, like, multiple second rounders. That that kind of thing impresses me. The fact that they've turned Bruce, Svee into, like, decent play, Like, they're going to be at least rotational players. Bruce, I think, could. I, I have higher ceiling for Bruce. I think Bruce could. Is could very well be a starting point guard and be straight. Like I, I have real high hopes for Bruce, but Spree at least, I think Spree at least is going to be a rotational player, consistently, and then some, like one of those guys that can fill into the starting lineup and 
you won't absolutely get destroyed because he's in the starting lineup. But I think that those two things impress me a lot with it. Um, they do. I mean, I don't know. I, I've been a little bit traumatized from the last front office. And other, I don't know. But with this current core, I, I, I'm not very confident in this current core to be like, it depends what the definition of worthwhile. Like, are we talking about like elite, like first, eventually, like Atlanta Hawks kind of thing, like makes the playoffs, second rounders and stuff, that kind of core kind of thing? Would that be whatever your whatever your definition is? That's a All right, well, I don't think they, I don't think this core currently could even be that because I think there's a cap on things. As much as I love these guys, like if you took Andre off this team and if you took Blake off this team, I think they would be exposed a little bit more, which is why I want to keep Andre on the team, but. Um, like with Luke, I think Luke would, Luke has a has a ceiling, and I think that he's pretty close to that ceiling right now. He can get better, but I think I don't think there's much. I don't think Luke can get much better. Um, so I mean, it depends on what they hit on in the future with the draft pick. But I'm, I say, on a scale of one to ten, I'm about like a a six and a half seven that that they could put together like a at least a, like an Atlanta Hawks kind of thing that you always talk about. The, Joe Johnson era when they were always, you know, always making playoffs, second rounds, kind of thing like that. I'm at a four. No. Um, which is to say, say I'm not totally without hope. Um, because, so like you said, Bruce and Svi look like nice pickups. Um, too early to say anything definitive about Seiku, but certainly looks promising. Um, but I'm a little worried about a couple of things. First off, Kyrie Thomas is a guy who they traded up to get. By all accounts, Bruce Brown was almost an afterthought when they drafted him. They were like, well, we've got this pick, so we'll draft him. Like, when they drafted him initially, there were a lot of people that initially were like, we don't think he they're actually keeping him. And then it turned out that they were, right? Like, Kyrie Thomas was the guy they really wanted, and they whiffed on that, right? At least it certainly appears. Um, and then, who knows, if Jordan Bone is going to be worthwhile if uh, Arvidas Savitas is going to be worthwhile. And they passed up on a guy who, to get them, they passed up on Kevin Porter Jr., who I'm not a huge fan of his game, but and he just got hurt. But pretty interesting prospect there. Um, I guess there's a degree to which they've done some goofy moves with the draft that suggests that they think that they are the smartest people in the room. And that's yeah. dangerous to me. Um, and... The biggest thing is that it's still kind of a question mark because they haven't had we we don't know what if they get a the eighth pick or whatever a top ten pick who knows if they're going to hit it or not you know Seku's the highest draft pick they've made and he was fifteenth and quite frankly Seku could still end up being a total whiff who knows it's far too early to say um, so I have some hope because the, I like some of the pieces here like you said there's pretty clearly a cap with the young guys they have now. Because I don't think any of them cap top out as being the sort of guy who is, you know, a top 20 NBA player or whatever number you want to have. Whatever arbitrary cutoff point you want to make for, you know, being the alpha dog on a really good team. They, I don't think anyone on this team has that. Um, but, and the main reason that pushes it from like a six or so for where you are, six or five down to a four, is that Dwayne Casey is their coach. So, yeah, that's that's where I am. So I feel okay about it. 
um, I would not be filled with confidence that this that they'd be able to make this work, though. That's why they shouldn't get rid of Andre. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, okay, so we just crossed over the hour mark, or are about to. Um, so I think that's all good. Do you have anything else you want to say before we go? Nope. Just follow me on Twitter. Check, check out my stuff. Okay, sounds good. All right. We will see you all later then. Stay beautiful, everybody, and go Pistons.